All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Vishnu Prasthaya Vajalashi Mati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Saraswati Devi Gohani Pachayana Sasasana Paskachayana Vandayam Shri Guru Shri Uta Parakamalam Shri Guru Nivaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatham Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Lavita Shri Vishakam so I was asked today to speak about Krishna's pastimes and we picked a pastime from Krishna in Dwarka which is full of adventure and mystery and black magic actually what's really interesting about the Vedas. If you compare the Vedas to other systems of religion that are on this planet, only the Vedas give a system where everybody has a place. In other systems of religion, it's very, you do this or you're finished, isn't it? Everybody has to do this or they're finished. But the Vedas are not like that. There's Scriptures for those who are in ignorance, scriptures for those who are in passion, scriptures for those who are in goodness, and scriptures for those who want transcendence. Krishna describes a whole yoga ladder from karma kanda to karma yoga to gyan yoga to dhyan yoga. Now, of course, we advise bhakti for everybody. <laughs> That's our advice. That's Krishna's advice. However, Uh, One can hook into the Vedic system even if you're at a very low level and gradually be brought up. So that's a very nice aspect of the Vedas. So this story starts with Krishna in Dwaraka. Dwaraka is Krishna's opulent city in the middle of the ocean. It's an island in the middle, big, but very big island in the middle of the ocean. And when Krishna left this planet, uh, Dwarka became destroyed, so you can't find it anymore. Although there's a place in India called Dwarka, it's not, it's on the land. It's not the original Dwarka. So, thank you so much. So, we, we know that at one point, uh, Sri Balaraji wanted to go back to Vrindavan and see Nanda and Yusoda and all of his friends. So, he left Dwarka and went to Vrindavan. And then Krishna was alone. And we find sometimes when Krishna's there without his big brother, that evil persons think, okay, now I can kill God. So 
So that's what this one very interesting person, Pondraka, thought. Now, all of us have come to this material world with a desire to be the supreme. That, by the way, is the source of all of our problems. We may think that our problems come from it's too hot, it's too cold, my boss isn't nice to me, my wife isn't nice to me, my body isn't nice to me. But really, all of our problems come from this root desire that I want to be the center. Just like sometimes we see a very beautifully choreographed dance with many different dancers. We just saw this at New Vrindavan. Beautiful. And they would, they would stand in a line and they'd each move their arms behind each other. And it looked like it was one person with many arms. Have you seen something like that? So beautiful. But could you imagine if one of the people in the line said, wait a minute, I, I want to be the most important here, person here on the stage and I'm going to do it my way. So what would happen? And if one person starts dancing out of sync and trying to be the center, then everything becomes ugly, isn't it? They'll bump into the other dancers, they may fall off the stage, the audience is not pleased. So in the Krishna book, in the section on Raslila, Prabhupada says, the whole world is full of Krishna's singing. And some living beings respond rightly and some don't. Some of us, he says, are dancing with Krishna and some of us are trying to dance independently. And this puts us in conflict, this trying to dance independently puts us in conflict with everything because then we're in conflict with Krishna. And Krishna is everywhere and all the elements, they're all Krishna's energy. So as soon as I'm in conflict with Krishna, with the center, as soon as I'm out of harmony with the center, then I'm in conflict with the material energy. I'm in conflict with other living entities, especially if they all also want to be the center. And I'm in conflict even with the elements that make up my own body and mind. And therefore we have adiatmic, adidaivic, and adibaltic suffering. But all of that suffering is caused by my wanting to be the center. However, most of us in this world, we learn that we're supposed to be a little quiet and devious about our desire to be the center. Isn't it? We're socialized. Our parents socialize us. Our schools, our government socialize us. Don't act like you want to be the center. Pretend that you want to be really humble. One of the best countries for this is India. The Indians really have this down. You know, I'm really just going to be your servant and I'm going to serve you. In America, we're a little bit more gross about our desire to be the center. A little bit more obvious about it. But this Pondraka was very obvious about it. He said, not only do I want to be the center, I'm actually Vishnu. And most of us don't go quite that far, right? <laughs> we don't say, I'm actually God. So Pondraka, he got this benediction from Shiva. Now, of course, if you're God, why would you have to get a benediction from someone else to be God? <laughs> you're supposed to be the benediction giver. But anyway, he got this benediction from Shiva that he could actually appear something like Vishnu, even with four hands, although two of them were just imitations. 
Like sometimes in a drama, we make car- two cardboard hands, you know, we can't do anything. And he became so proud, he challenged the actual God. Now again, we're all doing this, but we're generally not doing it so grossly. I mean, even a religious person, often, I'm sure nobody here, but often religious people, they go to God and they tell him what to do. Please cure my aunt of cancer. Please help me get more money. Please have my son pass the exam. And they give him orders. As if he doesn't know what to do. Listen, I know you're all powerful, and I know you're omniscient, I know you're really intelligent, but I don't quite like the way you're running things. And let me tell you how you should run them. So even most religious people do this. Isn't it true? What to speak of people who are not religious. But most of us don't go and say, I'm God. Because we had this happen at New Vrindavan in 1973. There was a motorcycle gang that came to the farm. They actually shot some of the devotees. And they told uh, the leader to dig his grave. They had a gun at it. They were going to kill him. And the devotees took the smaller deities and took them off the altar. But one of the members walked on the altar with his boots and he pushed over Radhavrindavan Chandra. And he sat down on the altar and he said, I am God. Of course, when he knocked over the deities, they made a huge sound, much more than you would expect. And the noise was so loud that the leaders on the hill who were telling our leaders to dig their grave at gunpoint, they got scared and they called their followers and ran away and never came back. So the deities saved the devotees. But the point is the man sat on the altar and said, I am God. So this Pandraka, he did this. He dressed himself like Vishnu with yellow silk. Of course, see, Vishnu's clothes are alive. Vishnu's clothes, they're either they're a devotee or they're an expansion of himself in the form of Balaram. So they're, they're all spiritual. You know, you can't go buy spiritual clothes at Walmart or even Lloyd Bazaar. I mean, sometimes we say that these are my devotional clothes, but my clothes have never been particularly devotional. You know, Hare Krishna, like that. But Vishnu's clothes are actually alive. So Pandraka was just doing this imitation. He had this fancy crown, but it wasn't... It wasn't the real thing. He had a fake Kostuba gem. Vishnu has a special jewel that contains all of us, all the living entities, and he keeps it right on his chest. So this Pandraka thought, okay, Balaram's away in Vraj, and he sent a messenger to the Lord in Dwarka. And he said, I'm the real Vasudev. Imagine someone coming to your house and saying they were the real you. I'm the real Vasudev, and you should take shelter of me and give me your weapons. So everyone in the assembly laughed for a long, long time. And Krishna was there enjoying everybody laughing. And he was also laughing. Now Sukadev Goswami says twice that Pandraka sent a message because he was so amazed that anybody could have the gall to send a message to Krishna saying, I'm the real Krishna. And Sukadeva Goswami says that this Pandraka, he was like a little child where his friends say, oh, you're great, you're the king. So that some of you are children here. So those of you who are children who probably aren't listening to what I say, but maybe some of the children here remember playing that they're kings. So we remember when we were children 
Do you ever play like you're a Canadian? He's not sure if he's listening. I your children are so well behaved here. Of course, now that I say that, probably somebody will cry. <laughs> anyway, so when we were children, we used to pretend like that. Right? I'm a king, I'm a queen, and then everybody else is saying, yes, yes, your majesty. So I said Pondraka was like that. And he was, became proud. This is one reason why we should be careful who we surround ourselves with. It's very important. One of the reasons we're supposed to have a spiritual master, this is the idea, it doesn't always work like this, but one of the reasons we're supposed to have a spiritual master is to have someone in our life who can say, you're a fool. Like Krishna said to Arjuna, very politely, of course. He said, uh, you have big flowery words, but you're mourning for something that's not worthy of mourning about. So generally the people in our life are flattering us. So one needs to have someone in one's life who can say, you're off. You're doing something wrong and that will take it and say, yes, thank you for correcting me, even if our false ego is blazing. We don't dare they say anything. We'll say, yes, yes. <laughs> because the relationship is there. As I say, that, that's supposed to be. The relationship with the guru doesn't always work that way because many disciples are not actually willing to take such correction from anybody. Prabhupada said they'll keep a guru as a fashion. Here's my guru. You know, and the guru tries to give any instruction other than you're very wonderful, here's my blessings. And then the disciple says, oh, I'm not listening. I'm not having this guru anymore. So Pandraka wasn't so intelligent. And he surrounded himself just with people who flattered him. Yes, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. Actually, you are God, you are God. I'm sure most of them didn't actually think he was God. I don't know if I should say this or not. I was somewhere in the world at, a, at someone's home giving a class, and I understood that many of the people of this class were accepting some particular individual as God. And at the end of the class, somebody asked me, how do you know who is God? And I said, well, first thing is that God is very beautiful. And I heard that at least half of the people decided they were going to reject their false god just from my saying that. You can figure out maybe who it is. But there's many of these people who come, you know, I am God, and they're ugly. Or at least they're not beautiful. And they get old and so forth and so on. So he asked Krishna, he said, give up your false name. I'm the real Vasudev. Give up your four symbols the conch, the disc, the club, the lotus flower. Give up your weapons and your symbols and take shelter of me. Those were his three demands. Give me your name, give me your weapons, and take shelter of me. So Krishna says, sure, I'll give you my weapons. Not quite the way you wanted. I won't put them in your hand. <laughs> he said, Krishna, Krishna told the messenger, I will give you my weapons by throwing them at you on the battlefield. And he said, uh, I don't think I'm going to take your shelter. The only, the only living entities that will take your shelter will be vultures and dogs. They'll take your shelter in the form of eating your dead body on the battlefield. Ooh. So this reply of Krishna is in Krishna's mood of dhirodhata. Krishna has four ways of describing his personality. Dhirodhata, dhiraprasanta, dhiralalita, and dhirodhata. 
So a lot of people say God is love. He is love. Certainly, he's love. Uh, but he can also answer people appropriately. He's very soft, and he can be tough too. That's what makes him all attractive. He's the supreme attractive. So the tough guy is also, isn't it? Isn't a tough guy also attractive? Now, if that's all you are, that's not attractive. So Krishna is not only that. He's also Dira Prasanta, the gentleman. Dira Dhatta, the hero, the chivalrous hero. And Dira Lalita, the party boy. How else do you say Dira Lalita? The fun. So he's fun. He's a hero. He's a gentleman. And he's tough. So here Krishna is exhibiting his tough side. So the messenger goes back to Pandraka and Pandraka just listens patiently and says, all right, I'm going to fight. And Krishna doesn't waste any time, thinks got to get rid of this guy. So he gets on his chariot and he goes to Kasi, Benares, because that's where Pandraka was hanging out at the time with his friend, the king of Kasi, and Krishna surrounds the whole city of Kasi with his army. So Pandraka comes out with two divisions and the king of Kasi brings three more. So they come out with five divisions. And then it's very interesting, the Bhagavatam says that Krishna saw Pandraka for the first time. So why is that interesting? Any thoughts why that's a very interesting statement? Krishna saw Pandraka for the first time. Yes. He's in everyone's heart. He's the witness. Not even Krishna. Krishna is partial expansion of Paramatma. He's the witness. He sees everything. You can't hide anything. Maybe you can hide something from your wife or your parents. Or you can hide something from the government. Or you can hide something from your boss or your teacher. Even we're very expert at hiding things from ourselves. Have you noticed that? <laughs> but you can't hide anything from Krishna. And just a little aside, he loves us anyway, by the way. This is really a little aside. But the essence of becoming a devotee of Krishna is to become truthful. The Bhagavatam has said is for those who are thoroughly honest. And the word sattva means both goodness and truth. Krishna is the absolute truth. Param sattvam dhimayya, meditate on the absolute truth. To come in contact with the truth, one has to be truthful. But that doesn't mean that you have to go on the internet and write about every bad thing you've ever done to everybody in the world. But it means one at least has to be truthful with oneself and truthful with Krishna. Who, by the way, knows everything about us anyway. Everything. And loves us anyway. I don't think we can say that about anyone else, is it? So we don't have to be afraid of being honest with Krishna. And as soon as we're honest with Krishna, our advancement is very rapid. Raghunath Goswami in his Manashiksha says that the prime problem in making spiritual advancement is deceit. Pretending to be something that I'm not. So of course Pandraka is sort of the epitome of this of pretending to be something that he's not. And this, we could say, is the essence of illusion, that which is not. 
something which is different from what it appears to be. It's not illusion in the impersonalistic sense that it doesn't have any existence. But the nature is different than the appearance. So this is a world of falsity where everyone and everything is pretending to be something else than what it is. We don't find authenticity here. So if we want to be with Krishna, we have to be authentic who we are. Only from that position can we make progress. Just like if you want to go from here to the capital, you have to be honest about where you are or you can't get proper directions, isn't it? If you call someone at the capital, I want to go there, how do I get there? The first question is going to be, well, where are you starting from? If you go online, you want to get those you know, directions, Yahoo or Google or whatever, you have to put a starting place. If you put the wrong starting place, then your directions will be incorrect. I realized this once when one of my students handed in a paper that she hadn't written. At first I said, wow, this is wonderful. And then I thought, I think I've read this somewhere before. I realized it was in one of our books. And it was that day I can understand that if somebody is not authentic, you can't help them. I couldn't teach her. If she turned it in her real turned in her real paper, I could say, hey, these are brilliant. You should do more of this, and this is really awful. Don't do any more of this. But because it wasn't hers, I wasn't able to help her move a step forward. So Krishna is the guru in the heart, the guru externally, all of our life circumstances. Nothing can help us if we lie to ourselves and lie to Krishna about who and what we are. You don't have to tell all your friends, and, but at least to be honest with Krishna. So Krishna actually is seeing us, and he sees us for what we are. And of course, when we say what we are, that's twofold. Because Mamai Vamso Jiva Loke Jiva Bhuta Sanatana, I'm a part of Krishna. And as a part of Krishna, I have most of the qualities of Krishna, 78% of the qualities of Krishna. Small, but I'm small, so that's okay. That means that we're also playful, beautiful, heroic, poetic, powerful. We're actually wonderful. Faultless. But we've fallen in the sewer. You know, here in the West, the sewers are covered, but if you go to some Indian village, you have to be careful. Malati told me that when she was at the uh, Kumbh Mela, her daughter, who was three at the time, fell into one of the sewers. And she was like holding her at arm's length, running to the Ganga to give her a bath. So exactly like that, when her daughter fell into the sewer, she didn't reject her daughter. She didn't say, oh, now I don't love you anymore. You're covered with sewage. She still held her, but out there, <laughs> and took her to take a bath. So that's how Krishna feels about us. He knows, this is my beloved part and parcel, but they're a little stinky. So he sees the, the real self, he sees the wonderful, effulgent, eternal spiritual self, and he sees the gunk, and so he holds us at arm's length and takes us to the gunk. So we shouldn't be ashamed I mean, maybe we should be ashamed of intentionally jumping into the sewer, but we shouldn't be ashamed to come before Krishna and be honest. So Krishna seeing Pandraka for the first time, of course, this is part of the Lord's Leela. 
because when he saw Pandraka, Krishna enjoyed. He thought it was so funny. Krishna is the supreme enjoyer. So although he, in one sense he's already, already seen Pandraka, when he saw this spectacle, that Pandraka is carrying a conch shell and a sword and a club, that he had painted on a Srivatsa mark, that he had a phony Kostuba jewel, maybe he shopped in China. <laughs> they say in China even the Nike shop sells <laughs> counterfeit. Right? He had a long garland of forest flowers. He had makara earrings. Usually probably translates those as sharks or dolphins, but it's actually the sign of Capricorn, the makara. It's the vehicle of Cupid. He even had a flag with Garuda. He had a really fancy crown, but again, none of it was actually spiritual. So he was doing this all by the benediction of Lord Shiva, and Krishna just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. So in order to laugh like that, he had to have this feeling of seeing Pandraka for the first time. And then all of the enemies of the Lord. My dear friends, sometimes we think that if I'm a devotee of Krishna, that everybody will like me. Forget it. Please don't try to make everybody like you. It won't happen. Even though I'm sure all of you are just lovely people. But there will always be somebody who doesn't like us. Even there are people who don't like God. And he's faultless. They think I'm Krishna's enemy. Some of us really waste a lot of our time and energy thinking that everybody should love me. I mean, not that we shouldn't be nice to people, but if we're thinking like that, then, uh, you know, we really, we'll just take birth again and again and again and again and again, trying to fix all of our relationships. Did you know that? That's one reason we take birth again and again and again. Trying to make everything perfect. See, even Krishna has enemies. Now, my enemies, generally, they've only attacked me with words. And a few people attack me physically, but generally my enemies have only attacked me with words, sometimes to my face or behind my back. But Krishna's enemies here, they're attacking him with tridents, clubs, bludgeons, pikes, rishtis, which is a kind of sword, barbed darts. You understand what a barbed dart is? That's like what people use for fishing. It, it goes like backwards so the poor little fish can't get the thing out. My oldest son one time saw a cat who had, because this was in the Detroit temple, we were right by the canal, and so a lot of people were fishing in the area, and some cat had gotten entangled with a fish hook and gotten a fish hook in its mouth. And he went to get it out, but the cat was squirming and he got it in his own finger. And because it had a barb on it, we couldn't just pull it out. We had to take him to the hospital to get it out. So barbed darts, lances, swords, axes, and arrows. Anybody here ever been attacked by tridents, clubs, bludgeons, pikes, swords, barbed darts, lances, axes, and arrows? No, so we were pretty easy. You know, sometimes we really complain when people attack us. But Krishna really has people attacked. And they're attacking without cause. I mean, some of the people who attack me, they may, uh, maybe they have a cause. Maybe I actually did something that wasn't so pleasing. Although generally I think I'm innocent, but maybe that's not always the case. But Krishna is actually innocent. And still they're attacking him. 
Also, we can understand from this and many other stories that it's not enough just to see God. You know, sometimes we think, hey, Krishna, you're making it hard for me. I hear this a lot. If Krishna would just come and stand before me, I'd be so attracted. I wouldn't have any more problem with Maya. It's his fault that I'm not making fast enough advancement. All right, Krishna. So when Krishna comes before someone who's envious, guess what? They just get angry. They just think, let me kill him. This is nicely explained in the story of Mahaprabhu, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when for 21 hours he exhibited his form as Vishnu. And he was asking the devotees, ask for a benediction, ask for a benediction. He was giving out all benedictions. He likes to give presents, just like we like to give presents. And then one of the devotees said, what about Mukunda? He's not here. Mahaprabhu said, I don't want to see him. Oh, why not? Well, one day he's with the devotees, next day he's with the impersonalists. I don't know what he is. Just like sometimes we have people, they're friends one day and they're enemies the next day, we're not sure who they are. And when Mukunda heard this, he said to the devotees, will I ever see the Lord? And they asked Lord Chaitanya, will he ever see you? Lord Chaitanya said, 10 million births I will see you. And they brought the message to Mukunda. He started dancing. I will see him someday. I mean, most of us, if I stood up here and said, okay, everybody, chant Hare Krishna, 10 million births, you'll become perfect. Probably most of us would leave. But he was dancing. And when that was told to Mahaprabhu, he said, oh, bring him immediately. And then Mukunda said, my dear Lord, just seeing you is not the benediction. Serving you is the benediction. And Mukunda gave so many instances of people who had seen the Lord, but not really relished, not entered into bliss by seeing the Lord. I remember one devotee said that if you brought materialists to the spiritual world, they would just look around and say, oh, a bunch of Hare Krishnas. That's a question of one's consciousness. So the, these, all these soldiers of Pandrak and Kasi, they just became angry. And then it said Krishna retaliated like the fire at the end of the creation. And when Krishna was done, the battlefield looked like a playground. This story is for people who really like the rasa of chivalry and ghastliness. So, anybody have any idea whose playground it looked like? Yamaraj is a good guess. Whose playground? Looked like somebody's playground. Not swings and slides and monkey bars. Shiva. Shiva. What an interesting person Shiva is. We don't have time, but anyway. Very amazing person. So the Christians have set up a second competitor god who's in charge of destruction. And they have an idea that he's the enemy of God. But we know that the person who's in charge of destruction, who's almost like God, uh, he's the greatest Vaishnava. We have an integrated idea of the person in charge of madness and illusion and evil and destruction, that he's also a Vaishnava. 
All right, so everything looks like the playground of Shiva, and then Krishna comes before Pandraka face to face, and he says, You asked for my weapons. Now, here they are. You asked for my name. Sorry. You're going to have to give up using my name. You've asked me to take shelter of you. So if you can defeat me, then surely I will take shelter of you. Then Krishna, with his arrows, he destroyed the chariot. And with his Sudarshan disc, he cut off Pandraka's head. Now he also cut off the head of the king of Kashi. And he took the head of the king of Kashi and threw it over the wall of the city. So it landed inside the wall of the city. Now that morning, the king had been bragging to his many queens, I'm going to kill Krishna, I'm going to cut off his head, and I'm going to bring his severed head into the city. Not a very good idea. <laughs> so this head came in, and because the king and um, the queens had been bragging about it too, the queens had been going to everyone and saying, my husband's going to cut off Krishna's head and throw it into the city. So when they saw this head, they immediately thought it must be Krishna's. First, they didn't know what it was. What is this kind of gory object? And they sort of come close. You know, nowadays they'd call the bomb squad if something came into the city. But they're sort of checking it out. And they wonder if it's Krishna's head. And they're looking at it. <gasps> it's our own king's head. Okay. So then, at the, then Krishna goes back to Dwaraka. And the residents of the higher planets and the perfected beings... They're all praising him. Now something really interesting about Krishna is if you think about him, which is the essence of the practice of bhakti, manmana bhavamad bhakto, is to think about Krishna. The essence of the practice of bhakti is to think about Krishna. Not just to perform a ritual with the body. But to think about Krishna, to bring the mind and the heart to Krishna. And what's really interesting is if you think about Krishna, even unfavorably, you get liberation. What to speak of thinking about Krishna favorably. So Pandraka was always thinking about Vishnu. Of course, he thought he was Vishnu, but still he was always thinking about Vishnu. And he was always meditating on the form of Vishnu. I mean, in kind of a funny way. Now, of course, his meditation was offensive. By Krishna killing him, that killing him on the battlefield took away the offensiveness. And it left just the thinking about Vishnu. So he got a form as Vishnu in Vaikuntha. He got Swarupya Mukti. He got a form that looks just like Vishnu. Isn't that incredible? Krishna's not envious. You want to form like me? You want powers like me? You can have it. It's not envious. He doesn't mind. Somebody else has a form like him. When Gopal Kumar went to Vaikuntha, he saw the residents there and he kept thinking they were God. He'd see the, the different residents entering the city with forms like Vishnu. Oh no, Narayan. Oh, I'm not Narayan. And another one, oh, no, no, I'm not, no, 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 no. And finally someone took him aside and said, listen, Narayan has the Srivatsa, the Kastuba, and that's how you can tell who's a Narayan. Krishna has no envy. 
You know, I don't mind if my neighbors are opulent, but not quite as opulent as I am. I want them to be just a little less. Krishna's not like that. Krishna's willing to share everything equally with, with his devotees. In fact, he's, he likes to have his devotees glorified above him. And what to speak of if you think of Krishna with love. Alright, meanwhile, back in Kasi, they're looking at this head. And Sudakshina, one of the sons of the king of Kasi, says, Krishna murdered my father. Did Krishna murder the king of Kasi? Was it murder? No. It was on the battle. And who started this whole thing? Padraka and Krishna. So Sudakshina's interpreting events to suit his own desires. He's interpreting events to suit his own desires. Now, we are all familiar with the fact that other people do this to us. We get in discussions or even arguments with people, friends, family, co-workers, someone at the bank or someone at wherever, and we keep saying, that's not what I mean, right? Have you had this situation? That's not how I think. That's not my intentions. That's not what I mean. You're not understanding me properly. But very few of us realize that we're just as guilty of doing that kind of thing. We tend to think that how I interpret reality is reality. In fact, we're generally not even aware that we're interpreting reality at all. We just think, however I perceive things is how they are. Well, it's obvious that that's his motive or her motive. It's obvious that this person did that. Anybody can see it. That's not the fact. So the Shastra says that when you're a conditioned soul, you have four problems. So what are those four problems? What are your four defects? A tendency to cheat. A tendency to cheat. That means we'll cheat ourselves also, by the way. (laughs) Another one. Imperfect senses. Do you know that about a third of the people who were later found innocent, who were in jail, were accused on eyewitness testimony? People who were excused by the government, exonerated by the government, pardoned by the government. A third of the people who were pardoned by the government were accused on eyewitness testimony. There was once a case of four women in different jails for the same crime until the actual criminal was caught. And the real criminal and the other four were all just all short and fat. So somehow, you know, oh, short, fat lady. She did it. And the juries become convinced. As soon as some, that's him. Then they convict the person, even if there's not much other evidence. But we have imperfect senses. Okay, tendency to cheat, imperfect senses. What's next? We make mistakes. And? Illusioned. So these statements in the Shastra, my dear friends, they don't just apply to the materialists out there. They apply to me. And we often wonder, what is humility? One aspect of humility is, I cheat. I have imperfect senses. I can be illusioned. I make mistakes. Not take so seriously how we interpret what's happening in our lives. 
it, it's so interesting, I, I do a lot of, of counseling and mediation, things like that, that sometimes when you're talking to people, they get so entrenched with how they've understood a situation. They just can't separate their perception from the situation. They're so convinced that they are objective. So Sudarshina fell into this. Krishna murdered my father, he said. That was his first mistake. And his second mistake is he said, the only way I can deal with this is to kill Krishna back. Vengeance. We could have a long talk about this one. But wanting to hurt those who hurt us. What does that do when I want to hurt people who hurt me? What does that do to me? I barren all the time. Huh? I barren inside all the time. I'm all inside, yes. So much turmoil and, and anger and, and frustration. What else does it do to me? Thank you. It destroys me. Huh? It destroys me. Destroys me, actually. Eats, eats away at me. What else does it do? I'm sorry? It certainly takes me away from Krishna. Where does it take me to? Huh? To get back at them. To get back at them. When I want to get back at them, where will I go? I may go to hell. <laughs> but I'm going to take birth again and again and again. Because there's always somebody I want to get back at, isn't there? Have you noticed that? That after you get back at one person, somebody else pops up and does something to you? It's not like you just finish it. Okay, now I've evened the score and it's just peaceful. Do you know that's one reason we take birth again and again? Did you know? So just the same way if somebody owes you something, you want to collect it, right? If you know, if you find out, oh, somebody owes me $200, you want to make sure you tell them. Excuse me. Although I heard that in China you never tell anybody when they owe you money. <laughs> but at least you're thinking about it. So if somebody owes me something, I want to get it. And if I want to hurt someone, I want to give them. And so we take birth, life after life, to do this. To collect our good karma and try to give other people their bad karma. So this was his mood. I have to get back at them. We don't have to take birth again and again, my dear friends. It's our choice. We don't have to pay our debts in the material world. Mom may come show another job. I'll take care of it, Krishna says. Like Krishna told Karna, you don't have to pay back to uh, Duryodhan. Just come surrender to me. He said, no, I have a debt. I got to pay my debt. Krishna said, you already paid your debt. No, I got to pay my debt. And Karna said, I know you're God. I know you're going to win. I know Duryodhan's evil, but I still want to pay my debt. What a fool. I think of this whole world like a big Monopoly game. You know Monopoly? Everybody's familiar with Monopoly? So somebody owes you money, you owe them money. But it's all play money. You don't have to pay Monopoly debts, okay? And you don't have to get other people to pay you their Monopoly debt. If someone owes you a Monopoly debt, you don't have to collect it. And if you owe someone else a Monopoly debt, you don't have to pay it. Now, Here's the tricky thing. You can't keep playing Monopoly and not pay your debts. If you're going to play Monopoly, you've got to pay your debts. But you can quit the game. Krishna says, quit the game. 
Don't worry. Who owes you this? Who you owe that? Quit the game, Masucha, don't worry. But you have to actually quit the game. You can't keep one hand in the game. That doesn't work. And if you're thinking, the people who owe me Monopoly money, they better pay, then you're going to have to come back maybe to collect. So this is how Sudakshin is thinking. He's taking himself very seriously, and he's taking the game very seriously. So he's saying, Krishna murdered my father, and I'm going to get Krishna. Okay. By the way, Sudakshin wasn't all bad. He was a charitable fellow. Had some good qualities. People are usually a mix. So in Kasi, the Lord is Shiva. So Sudakshin goes to Shiva, and Shiva was very kind to him. He actually appeared. What would you like? And Sudakshin said, I would like to kill Krishna. So Shiva said, worship the Dakshin Agni fire, who will come before you as a person. And he can kill anyone as long as that person is not a Brahmana or favorable to the Brahmanas. All right. Now Krishna appears as what Varna? Kshatriya, you're Dwarka. Dwarka. Some of you said Vaisha. That's true, but you forgot we're in Dwarka. Some of you are just absorbed in Vrindavan, and even when I'm telling Dwarka Leela, you can't get your mind out of Vrindavan. Very nice. But Krishna also appears as a Kshatriya. Now, normally the Kshatriyas are supposed to worship the Brahmanas. Do you know why? This is really important. So the Kshatriyas, the Rajas, they're in what mode of nature? A Raja is in? Rajagun. That was an easy question. Okay, what is Rajagun? So many people don't understand what is Rajagun. Probably because we don't see much of it anymore. But Rajagun means you do the right thing for the wrong reasons. You're pious, you're charitable, you're heroic for your own uh, prestige. For your own honor. For your own material desires. <coughs> So someone in the mode of goodness, they do the right things for the right reason. Someone in the mode of ignorance, they do the wrong things for the wrong reason. And someone in the mode of passion, they're divided. They're doing the right things, but they have the wrong intentions. So it's a, it's a dangerous place to be. Because it's hard to be out of sync. Isn't it? If you have ill motives, it's hard to act nicely. And if you're acting nicely, it's hard to maintain the ill motives. So those in the mode of passion, who are supposed to be the political governors of society, they're in a really risky position because their heart is full of material desires. Even though they're acting piously, the actual, real rajas. So therefore, they have to respect Brahminical culture because the Brahmins are doing the right thing for the right reason. So if they're respecting the brahmanas, the brahmanas will keep having them do the right thing, keep having them do the right thing. They won't allow the material desires and the political leaders to lead to the sin and corruption of the mode of ignorance. They'll be pulling them internally to do the right thing, which will pull them to the mode of goodness. If you don't have brahmanas, if you don't have people in the mode of goodness giving advice to the political leaders, their internal material desires may lead them to sinful actions and criminal actions. So it's very, very important, first of all, that there be brahmanas, real brahmanas, that the brahmanas be independent of the political leaders, not be maintained by the political leaders, and that the political leaders offer respect to the brahmanas. So, 
Sudakshina, with his material vision, seeing Krishna as a Ksatriya rather than God, said Krishna should offer respects to the Brahmanas, which of course he does, like with Sudama Vibra. But guess what? Because the Brahmanas knew, at least some of them knew, that Krishna was God, guess what some of the Brahmanas did to Krishna? They worshipped him. Now, is Ksatriya supposed to be worshipped by the Brahmanas? That would be a bad situation, wouldn't it? Then the Ksatriya will corrupt the Brahmanas. But Krishna allowed the Brahmanas to worship him. So when Sudakshina saw this, he thought, oh, okay, this demon can kill Krishna because he doesn't respect Brahminical culture. Because he's not worshipping the Brahmanas. All right. So he did this yagya, and he found some priests who were willing to do it, and they had to use the black magic parts of the Vedas in order to do this sacrifice. The fire then took a form of a naked man with hair the color of melted copper and cinders coming from his eyes. He was as tall as a palm tree. He had fangs. And he had a trident that was on fire, constantly blazing. Actually, he's just his legs were as tall as palm trees. And as he walked, the whole ground shook. And because there were cinders coming from his eyes and fire coming from his trident, everywhere he walked burst into flames. Now, there were also many ghosts that were accompanying him. Right, so now we come to another important point. So you've attained perfection, and there you are with Krishna in Dwaraka. Is life just peaceful? This fire man walks into your city. So with Krishna, there is adventure. Our understanding of perfection is not just simply Om Shanti, Shanti, float in the Brahman. That's available. It's an option. If you really just want Om Shanti peace, undifferentiated, floating in the Brahman is a valid option. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. You can do that. Of course, the warning is, Avasuddha Buddha, you won't have completely purified intelligence. You won't be able to stay there forever. That's the warning. But that option is there. Even in Vaikuntha, there's no demons that come into Vaikuntha. If you enter into Krishna's pastimes, there's going to be adventure. There's going to be excitement. Of course, it's going to be excitement with peace. Because you know Krishna always wins. And you know that we can't be hurt. I'm a soul. I can't be hurt by any weapon. I'm eternal. People try to imitate this by watching an adventure movie in a movie theater where they're safe in their seat, but there's adventure. This idea of feeling completely safe and secure and yet being in an adventure. So all the residents in Dwarka, they know I'm a soul. I can't be hurt. Nothing can happen to me. Krishna always wins. And yet this fire demon comes in. Now Krishna's playing a game. He's playing chess or something like that. And the residents of, of Dwarka, they run into the room. Save us, save us! Krishna likes playing the hero. I mean, even ordinary men like playing a hero. Krishna likes playing a hero. And even the generals and the military yadus, they were afraid. 
And Krishna says something he really likes to say. Krishna says this a lot. Do not fear. One of Krishna's favorite things to say. Don't be afraid. We don't have time, but fear is the essence of materialistic life. He says, I will protect you. But he was absorbed in his game. You ever absorbed in something and you don't want to be interrupted? Somebody calls you, it's time to eat, and you don't want to come? Right? So Krishna didn't want to be disturbed. I mean, there's this palm tree tall demon with fire coming out of his eyes and his trident burning everything. And Krishna's like, eh. Let me finish my game. So his Sudarshan chakra, in, as a personified form, was next to him. He said, you go take care of this, okay? Yes, sir. Uh, Krishna often dispenses his devotees. Right? So Sudarshan blazed like a million suns. And the sky, directions, the earth, and the demon all felt the scorching. So the demon was scorching. But Sudarshan, which literally means beautiful sight... It was more scorching. Whatever you want to throw at Krishna, he can best you. <laughs> and the demon turned back. So the demons in our heart will also turn back and be destroyed if we come close to Krishna. So he turned back, this demon. And the nature of black magic is if you can't kill your enemy, then what you create will kill you. The demon had to kill someone. It couldn't just do nothing. So it came back and killed Sudakshina and the priests. And not only that, it destroyed the whole city of Kasi. So the benediction at the end of this story, oh, and then the Sudarshan returned back to Dwarka, and Krishna's action is called effortless. So the benediction, will read the verse, Ya enam shravan martya, martya means us, those who die, uttama sloka vikraman, Vikranam, wonderful activities. Samahito vashrinuyat, sarvapapai pramuchite. Any mortal who recounts this heroic pastime of Uttama Slokas or who simply hears it attentively will become free from all sins. So I hope you've enjoyed this story. Why does Krishna let the demons do what they want to do for some time? Uh, well, on many levels. First of all, it's fun. <laughs> there is some pleasure in, in defeating a bad guy. If there wasn't, half the movie industry would collapse. <laughs> yeah. There's some fun there. And the other reason is that uh, Krishna is Swarat. He can do whatever he wants. comes from the word Swaraj, one's own king, to have autonomy. And each of us, as part and parcel of Krishna, uh, we also have some freedom. And if Krishna doesn't allow us to exercise our freedom, uh, that's not really very kind. So Krishna allows us to exercise our freedom. 
Of course, Krishna allows the demons to exercise their freedom in a world of illusion. So you're not really doing any harm. It's not, there's, there's not any real harm going on because it's, it's not what it appears to be. It's a game. Yes? Excuse me? Krishna leaves each person for their karma? Generally. Unless you ask him to help you. And then he won't leave you to your karma anymore. Oh, you're answering him? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, that's another good reason. Thank you. Yes. Mother, somebody said, like, uh, <clears throat> my enemy uh, hurt me by saying things and saying from behind back. But you are a Uttava Dikari, top of duty. What do you mean by that? Hare Krishna. <laughs> uh, but there's still people, well, whoever, whoever I may be, anyway, and I'm, I'm not anything. But whatever we may be, somebody is going to criticize us. It's just the way of the world. Just the way it is. They even criticize Krishna. My point is sometimes in this world we work very, very hard trying to make everybody like us. That's not going to happen. There are even people who don't like God. Yes, sir. Yes, professor. No, this, sir, this gentleman first. I'm sorry. people who tell everybody everything they did? Like these sort of the Twitter things, you know, I woke up in the morning, I brushed my teeth, I (laughs) ate some porridge. Is that your question? Your question is what should we tell people who want to reveal every detail of their life to the world? Every detail of our lives is really boring. That's my (laughs) suggestion. found anyone, even my close friends and family that are really interested in listening to me for one hour to recall the details of what I did today. So this is my challenge. Find somebody you really love and see if say, would you be willing to sit down for one hour and listen to all the details of what I did yesterday? Life is not about the, the, the things that we do. It's about how much we, we offer them to Krishna and how much we love Krishna. You know, when, when we die... 
our obituary will probably sum up all of the activities of our life in about three sentences. And if you're really an important person, you might get three paragraphs. You know, if you're really, really, really important, you might get 2,500 words, which is our article limit, in Back to Godhead. So everything we've done in our life in 2,500 words, that's not a whole lot. So we tend to focus a lot on, on what we do, what we accomplish. But really, that's, that's not what's important. What's important is whether or not we've pleased Krishna, whether or not we've dealt with every living entity who crosses our path in a way that pleases Krishna. Now that's something that lasts forever and that everybody's actually interested in. But we could talk about every detail of what Krishna does. So if you use, you know, whatever, Facebook and Twitter for that purpose, then that's lovely. So every detail of what Krishna does and the pure devotees do, that's actually relishable. But everything we do in conditioned life is very boring. Okay, we can take one more. Yes, for me. Oh, you too. We'll take you too. Sorry. in the world Excuse, whether it's football teams, nationalities, or religion, or race, or whatever. The solution? Even Krishna probably don't know what the solution is. Krishna doesn't know what the solution is? No, no. He tells us what the solution is. We were just reading this in our class yesterday how to get peace and prosperity, how to have good children. So that's one solution. But to have a society where people are centered around Krishna and where there are those who are in the mode of goodness who lead this society. Anyway, whether we can fix the world or not in our lifetime, we can fix our own heart. You can walk around with peace in your heart, even if you can't necessarily fix the whole world in the next hour or two. But at least, at least you can fix your own private universe. Prabhupada says that the non-devotees think that everything is very aggressive and the devotees see everything is very happily situated. So yes, sir, last question. Yes, sir. Just something like, uh, why, <clears throat> if we take uh, Shiva or like Brahma, they were giving some miraculous powers to their devotees, and why Krishna is not basically like, you know, I'm, I'm just getting through this Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavad where like there is no clue of getting this miraculous powers like, you know, for Krishna devotees. You know, Krishna's devotees sometimes have miraculous powers. There was Priyavrata who created a second son. That's pretty miraculous. There was Kardama Muni who created an aerial city. That's pretty miraculous. So there are devotees with miraculous powers. Sure. Do you want miraculous powers? <laughs> you don't have to say no. It's all right. Most of us would like to have miraculous powers. Come on. I mean, if we're honest, I think most of us would like to have miraculous powers. You know why? Because in our original spiritual body, we do have miraculous powers. We're in a very artificial position here. Of course, if you want miraculous powers to try to control and enjoy the world, that's a problem. 
So the devotees are interested in loving Krishna. They're not so interested in enjoying their own miraculous powers. But in our original state, we all have incredible powers. Many devotees have amazing powers. But the most amazing power is if you can bring other people to love of God and bring peace. If you can walk in a room and bring peace and, and love and harmony to others, that's the most incredible power. That's a lot more amazing power than flying. Right? So that's what we would like to do. Thank you very much. All the boys to show